Welcome to the Abundant Leap Podcast. I'm your host, Chance Welton. I'm a speaker, consultant, and thought leader here at Abundance.io. In this podcast, you'll discover your strengths, find turnkey business models, and get expert guidance for life's biggest financial moments, where we have trained and consulted over 35,000 entrepreneurs on how to start their first online business and we've helped existing business owners start their second and third stream of income. You can learn more at Abundance.io. And of course, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at the Abundant Leap Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode here on Abundance.io Podcast. I have a good friend and just amazing business owner and leader in the investment space. Jeff Seconder from 0%. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm breathing. I'm walking. Couldn't be happier. And you just moved out to Miami a little bit ago, right? Yeah, it's been just over two years now from uh, San Diego. Fantastic. How are you liking it so far? It's been awesome. I mean, you're right by the water. It's a wealthy city. People are healthy. You're saving on tax, so not much more you could want. The occasional hurricane, you kind of book it somewhere else. But other than that, <laughs> it's, it's pretty awesome. Right on. Yeah, it seems like that's really a, a hub now. I've met so many entrepreneurs that are moving to Miami. It's kind of like Austin or Miami. Never been to Miami. It's my first time out here having a great time and meeting super rad people. So it's I'm stoked to be here. Yeah. Feels like a just a super conglomerate of entrepreneurs now. I don't know how you feel being here, but it's crazy how many people have moved here in the past like year and a half. Oh, it's wild. And like even just going out with other people that I know in the space, we just bumping into people everywhere. We at Prime 211 last night <laughs> eating like amazing food, bumped into a bunch of other guys, did some business deals like at dinner. Yeah, I was like, this is incredible. And it's a lot of young, motivated people that are really doing big things. Um, when I reached out to some friends to build network for the show, you were one of the first names that came up. So uh, I'm, I'm happy we got to meet and uh, sitting here on the podcast. Yeah, me too. So walk us through, you know, investment is a big word, um, raising capital, you know, investing in projects. It's, it's a, just kind of a far off gray area for a lot of people. They don't know where to start. A lot of people got smoked in the, this last crypto uh, cycle. Um, you know, we have a lot of corrections happening in the market right now where the market isn't performing well. So I know you've made your own niche in a lot of these different sectors and you've been able to do some really like big things. And you seem like you're pretty calm and collected right now. So I'm assuming <laughs> things are going well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just kind of walk us through your process of, you know, what really turned you on entrepreneurship in the first place? And where did you really start your journey? Uh, yeah, I mean, really, because I didn't have a choice, I felt like. I was just like, naturally, I, I pursue a few different values, which is, um, so I don't know if you, have you heard of John D. Martini before? I have not. Okay. He's got a really weird haircut, but he's a <laughs> super smart guy. He taught me about, um, I took a course from him called values determination, which is pretty much like, Hey, you have a, a highest value and then you've got, you know, different values that support that. So I realized that my highest value was having like freedom, like freedom of what clothes I'm wearing, who I'm hanging around, where I'm going. Wanted to have uncapped earning potential was number two. And I want to see impact on people. And I was in the, uh, you know, working for uh, JP Morgan in asset management, which I thought was my dream job, mm -hmm. like growing up. Um, and it's not a bad company, not a bad role whatsoever. I actually think very, very highly of the company. Um, but it just wasn't a fit for me. So, um, what I did actually, I'll rewind back a little bit in high school, I got injured in football. They put me on opiates and, uh, and muscle relaxers that rolled into about a six year issue where I was trying to get over myself. 
for i mean actively i was trying to get off of this stuff for like four years but mm -hmm. the doctors kept putting me on this thing to get off of this thing and then that thing to get off of that thing so next thing you know i'm i'm taking all these you know uh prescriptions and i'm like all right well i need to actually get well and get off of this because ultimately mm -hmm. they're just prescribing you different types of opiates it's, there's it's no terrible. way out it's no way yeah. out it's it's horrible and so many people in the u.s are on multiple drugs mm -hmm. like i think it's 70 80 of the population is it's yeah. terrifying yeah it is uh you know I, i've talked about it before in my story but i lost my father to prescription drugs like back in 2010 where eventually he took his own life and it was five years of take this pill then that pill then this pill then that yeah. pill and this pill and that pill came out to visit me in hawaii and he had like literally a separate small duffel bag that had all of his medications in it i was just like what is going on yeah. so bro i'm Sad. so proud of you for like stepping up and doing the work to get out of that because it is a very slippery slope and it's really sad that we lose a lot of people to yeah. that process yeah i mean i'm I'm actually really grateful that it happened i mean as similar to you my my aunt died from it my cousin died from it I had four you know friends from high school die from it too which was like obviously i'm like all right so i remember this pretty vividly because i got to a place where i was 60k in debt and i had a 524 credit score living in my dad's basement, going to JP Morgan, just hopeless, helpless, had no idea what I was going to do. And I realized, well, first of all, I got to go into rehab because I'm fighting that whole thing for forever. Mm -hmm. So I finally went in and um, and I used that as a place to just really reset and kind of paint the vision for what I wanted to do. So when I went in there, there's a guy named uh, Christopher Russell that had me create a hero story. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you kind of step out of your own body and you write down, Hey, what, what has your life been so far in like third person? And then what is it going to be in the future? So I wrote that story now, like a lot of those things and that in the vision board that I created in rehab is actually starting to come true. But when I was in there, I used that as a place to be like, wow, okay. I'm the reason why I'm escaping my reality is because I have a bad reality. And, it, and the bad reality is that because it doesn't align with my values. So I kind of put all these things together where I'm like, I got to create a new, you know, reality for myself or I'm going to go back to what I was doing. So when I got out, you know, first thing I'm like, okay, why am I going? So I, like I was still working, you know, for the company. I was still keeping my stuff together. I don't know how I, I, I people were blown away. I got a three, two all through, you know, college, graduated the finance degree, went into the bank, which by the way, happens to a lot of people in this industry and, and specifically in finance and you hear that in like legal as well but like people can keep their stuff together and they look all good from the outside but really uh they're having a, a tough time um but i got out and i realized okay i'm in this job because i don't have my income and finances together and that's why you know the other majority of the people are here they're not like ultra inspired to be you know, going to their job. Right, right. Uh, so I'm like, all right, how do I get out of this? I got to take care of my finances. I checked my credit score, 524, tons of debt. I actually went into more debt to learn these different things about entrepreneurship, about, you know, um, self-awareness, about how to like start a business online, uh, about personal branding. We were just talking about Gary Vee and his book, Crush It. So I, I decided to just commit fully to that and um, changed a lot of habits in my life, but realized like, okay, my credit situation is really bad. Mm -hmm. So there's no way I'm getting an apartment. There's no way I'm getting a car. There's no way I'm funding a business. So I, I figured out how to repair my own credit. I had late payments. I had a collection. I had, you know, a ton of debt. And I brought my score up from a 524 to a 793 in about nine months. Wow. And uh, moved debt over to 0% interest business credit, which is just, you know, it's a, it's a way to move 
high interest debt over to something where you're not paying interest for a certain amount of time. So you have some breathing room. And also it reports on the business, not your personal credit. So now your credit score shoots way up because utilization is 30% of your score. So um, it gave me some room, started a marketing company, had success on that. Um, and then I started to teach about what I was doing because I'm Gary V's just like, hey, man, just document everything. So I'm yep. like, let's right. do it. So I just started to document everything about my credit journey and what I was doing in entrepreneurship. And people were like, how did you just do that? And then it got kind of overwhelming where people were like, what can I pay you to learn what you just did? And then that rolled into zero percent. I launched my first like info product. Um, I there for because like you just <clears throat> unraveled so many important uh, points that I want the listeners to really focus on. That point where what was the guy's name that was in the rehab center, Scott? Uh, Christopher Russell. Christopher yeah. Russell. He gave you that exercise for you to step into unconscious awareness, right? To where you were like, okay. Because when we can pull ourselves out of it, we can really see what the issues are. Because like, let's make up this make-believe story about this person that isn't in the place that I'm at and where I want to be. And that allows you to step into conscious awareness that allowed you to really start seeing life in a different way. I was speaking to a good friend last night talking about it. It's like, if we're always in that, like, um, it's almost like miscoherence, like in the brain. And when we're living in that, like, we don't know how to get out of it, right? It's like we're living in our own yep. matrix. So that's simple power. And uh, who's the guy that actually wrote like the hero story? Like, did you go through that process or was that just a different? Uh... I wrote it for myself. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. So well, like the hero's journey, you, was that the exercise that you did? Yeah. Okay. That's so, so, so powerful. I can't remember. We were in, I was in music school and they showed us that when I was like 22. And that's when mm. I started to like really break out of my old thinking process. Like if you write it out and you visualize it and you say, hey, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to look like. This is who I want to be around. This is the bank account I want. Exactly. This is the place I want to live. If you don't ever tell yourself that and get it out of you and write it down and like see it, then it just it never happens. And we wonder why. It's like if we don't plan for success and naturally we're just going to fail. Like if mm -hmm. we can't see it, you know, I, and nobody else around us can believe in it either. I literally just shot a, a video on uh, Instagram. It's just an Instagram story the other morning. But I, the, I started off with, um, and it's not my quote, by the way, but uh, if you don't know where you want to go in five years, you're already there. So if you're not wow. planning for anything, it's like you're not going anywhere. And that was like why, I mean, that's why majority of people never go anywhere because they never have a plan. Um, I have like a four steps that I implement now to like achieve anything that I want. Um, and it's like, you got to have, you know, a target, a thing that you actually want to do. You want to, you need to have a deadline. You need to have a plan and then taking consistent action. And if you can do those four things, you're, you're likely to achieve things, but that's exactly, you're right. No one even notices, like is conscious enough to say, okay, where am I going and how do I get to ultimately where I want to go? And what are the exact things down to the minute detail mm -hmm. of what I want? And I think that's why a lot of people are lost, unfortunately. So. For sure. And at that point, when you decided to make that decision, the pain got bad enough to where you were like, it's so bad, I have to change this. Most yeah. people sit around and will just whine about their pain and whine about their pain and whine about their pain and never actually do something because it hasn't gotten bad enough. When you start to realize that and actually look at your life and where you want to go and see how far away it is and you become conscious of that, that's when the pain can get hard enough and hurt enough 
to kick you in the ass to get you going. So anybody listening in, I challenge you, listen to what he's saying here because we've all had to go through it to where we were somewhere in our lives that eventually we woke up one day and said, I am freaking tired of this. I know that I'm better than this. I know that there's other people out there that I can help, but I got to help myself first. And so, you know, we teach a lot of our students, like, stop being selfish. Get out of your own way because there are other people out there that need to hear your message. So I commend you, brother. I, you, you did the work. It, it just catapulted you into this new life that you drew out. When, how, how long ago did you actually draw out that vision board? So I went in, I mean, I got out on February 28th. Or no, I went in February 28th, got, it, got out the very last day of the, the, the next month. So, I mean, it's almost been five years now because that was 2018. And how yeah. old are you now? I'm 29. You're 29 years old. Yeah. Wow. I thought you were like an old man like me, like about to turn 35. So you do, look old. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. It's all the avocados and, you know, cold water plunge and hot, exactly. hot sauna, you know, eating good, take care of your body. It's the only body we get, right? When you were talking about those four steps of how you've achieved your finances, did you also apply that to mindset goals, body goals, health goals, relationship goals? I mean, yeah, you can apply it to anything. I'm, you know, when I got out, all I did was focus on uh, building the right relationships, building businesses and, and my finances, and then my health. So I applied it to all those. And I, what I would do is I would, like, I remember I used to wake up and like watch the news. Like that was the first thing I do. So immediately I get fear instilled in me. Yep. Instead, what I did is I put a whiteboard over my TV and I have my goals and positive affirmations written down. So every morning I wake up and I see my goals and I'm focused on my goals. And That's then you powerful. rewrite them. Um, and there was a lot of like little habits that I implemented. Another one was we called a 90 day blitzes where we would say, okay, we want to make, you know, early stage, we want to make 40K, you know, over the next three months, right? When we first were starting our marketing agency, how do we do that? Right. Because then that says like, all right, here's the goal. We've got the deadline. Now we got to be forced to create the plan and you can, you can chunk down the plan. That's what most people do. They're like, oh, I want to be worth a billion dollars. Okay. Well, uh, what's the plan to actually do that? Right. So it forced us to create that plan. And then that's all we focused on. And then once we would hit the target, we would then go, you know, we flew down to Tampa. I was living in like a 900 square foot um, apartment with a, another entrepreneur right when I got out of my, my dad's house. So like, um, yeah, it was like really powerful to actually be able to chunk things down and do that. And we did that with our fitness, did that with my personal development, took it like very, very seriously. Um, and then, yeah, with relationships too, we were intentional about going to events and meeting new people and uh, it was a whole transformation when I, whenever I hear people, <clears throat> and it doesn't matter if they're struggling with the same problem or if it's just like, oh, I just need to change my life somehow. The the number one thing you need to do is change your environment. So you look for, you know, even the clothes that I'm wearing, the bed that I was sleeping on, the phone that I had, I had all, because what you do, you attach your your emotions and your previous behaviors to those objects. 100%. And then when you see those objects again, it puts you back into that state. And then when you're in that state, then you're just repeating the, the bad habits. And same goes for people around you, right? So when you have those same types of people that you had those old old bad habits on, or you may, maybe they're not even bad. Maybe you just are pissed off that you're mediocre. Yep. It's because you keep hanging around the same people, having the same things around you in the same environment. So the first thing I did was I changed the, my environment. I, yep. I did whatever I had to do 
which everyone has excuses. Oh, I'd had this, so I'm, I just got out of rehab or this, you know, I got parents that are alcoholics. Doesn't matter. You got to have that mindset of like, you got to take extreme ownership for where you're at. And then you got to make the decision to go change as much as you can, because there's no way to have a new output without, you know, new inputs. So dude, so powerful, man. That's so powerful. Cause it's so true. Like with the old environments, like I want all of you listening in to do an exercise. Okay. The next five people that you hang out with that are like your closest friends, whether that's a colleague at work, whether that's a cousin, a brother, whoever it is. And the next time you sit down and have a conversation with them, just listen, are they complaining most of the time or are they being positive and talking about things that they're changing in their life and being proactive most of the time? Because last night I uh, met a couple of guys for the first time that are entrepreneurs doing really big things. And we sat there for two hours. There is not one single complaint or like traffic was terrible or like my girlfriend is like holding me back. That wasn't the conversation. Gossiping about their high school friends. Talking about the past, right? Yeah. Like my rule is like if they're, if those people are not in the room, don't talk about them. Yeah. You know, and that's and if like. you it, wouldn't say it to their face, don't say it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And if it's something bad, like if they are in the wrong, then yeah, go say it to their face. Be the friend that nobody else will be and tell them the damn truth, you know? And so that's powerful. I love the fact that you talked about environment because when I started my business, I was, you know, still kind of bouncing in out of my hometown. You know, I love my hometown, but when I moved back there, I knew that I was going to move back to Cascade, a mountain town that was away from my hometown. And it's because a new environment is like, I think differently. I act differently. I operate differently. I can't go back into my old environments. Yeah. And I moved to Laguna Beach right when I started. I was about two, three years into my business already. And it was just kind of, you know, flatline. It wasn't really growing my marketing agency at the time. It was still doing well, but I could, I, I was wondering why it wasn't going to the next level. Well, I, I wasn't really hanging around entrepreneurs. I wasn't in a new space. I wasn't creating new habits. I wasn't going out and meeting new people. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of my life was still just kind of maybe growing slightly. But as soon as I moved to Laguna, got into a new environment, my business exploded. Yep. And it's, it, and I didn't realize it at the time, but you're like, why am I, why am I so productive? Why am I so focused? It's like new environment, new habit. So any of you that are in a place and you've always thought about moving somewhere because you want to be in a new environment. You want more sunshine. You want a, a new experience. I challenge you to do that because when you even moved from San Diego to Miami, how did that impact your business and your and your relationships? I mean, yeah, I think I, I'm trying to think back to what we were doing, but I mean, I know for a fact that I we doubled the amount of income that we had in like I think it was like four or five months. So it's like. And that's just because of everything working together all at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, it, it had a huge and it's the same thing. You feel uncomfortable because I lived, you know, I grew up in the same like hometown for like 20 years of my life. And then I went off to, you know, college, but I came back to the same hometown to go back to work for the bank and just right back into the, you know, the rhythm of, of all the BS that I was dealing with, which, by the way, I like my hometown as well. But. If you got to make sacrifices in life, you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. The more that you're you're comfortable in doing the same thing over and over again, first of all, it's not even healthy for your mm -hmm. brain. Like your brain can literally create new uh, divots inside of the brain when you give it new experiences. So it helps your brain be like healthy and evolve. Uh, but secondly, who likes to be the, the same same old same yeah. old? 
and not level up. I feel like I'm dying. I tell people all the time, I'm like, dude, I would rather go drown in this pond than be average. Yeah. Like, I, that's just how I am. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. Same. Same. I was going through the same thing over and over and over again where I always thought it was the job I was working at of, like, why I was unhappy. So I was like, oh, I'd work in a job for a couple months and I'd go change it up. And then, and then it's new for a couple months and there's new people. And I was all excited. And then it was, like, back to the same thing. I'm like, what is this, like, wall that I keep hitting? And it was, like, literally it's because I wasn't creating something for myself. As a mm-hmm. business owner, as an entrepreneur, you meet new people every day. You have new problems every day. Every day is different. Like, I've never had the same exact day of being in my business, and I don't think you have either, because mm-hmm. in order to grow, we have to keep bringing new challenges to the table. And the way that our brain compartmentalizes time is by different experiences. So, like, you know, when you go on a trip, you're like, man, it feels like I was gone forever. And then you're at home, like, working or going to your job or whatever for, like, three weeks will fly by. And you're like, how did that just fly by? Yeah. It's like, that's literally how we um, process time. So when you are doing things and changing up and traveling and having different days all the time, it's like literally you live a longer life. Yeah. You will look back on your life and be like, wow, I did the things I wanted to. And it's like, uh, you know, at 90, I'm probably going to feel pretty tired and be ready to. That's why on. you're so young. That's why you're so young, man. That's it. <laughs> too kind, too kind. So I want to talk about debt. A lot of, and I was just at a Grant Cardone event last couple of days talking about debt and and leveraging attention and and smart ways to be investing in yourself. And it's just a good reminder. Yeah, I've read the books, but when you get in rooms with people that are doing big things, there's a different energy that you get. There's different things that happen that stick with you. And, um, you know, everybody talks about good debt and bad debt. And he was saying, you know, like if he had to start all the way over right now, he would go rack up a bunch of debt and spend all that on getting attention and spend all that on getting authority. He's like, I'd rack up two, three, four, five million dollars. Like, that is good debt. That is allowing me to skip everybody in line and get up front because, like, money is going to attention, especially in this next cycle. Mm-hmm. Money is going to attention. It's all going to be flowing to the top. The people that can captivate attention, that's where they're going to go invest. That's who they're going to go and buy from. Mm-hmm. Right. So, anybody listening in, like, debt is not a bad thing. It's the, it's bad debt is a bad thing. Going and buying handbags, going and buying nice cars, going about all this stuff that you can't afford. Yeah, that's bad debt. Mm. But by leveraging other people's money, right? What do they call it? OPM? Mm. Leveraging other people's money, you're able to go out there and buy your time back to be able to get ahead. So when you were working at Chase, and it was Chase, right? Mm-hmm. Or JP Morgan, yeah. same thing. You said you were in a bunch of debt. What was that debt from? Just the the, the spiraling of that habit. I mean, yeah. what I was doing was I was <laughs> I was taking out loans and I was trading crypto, and then I was paying for my habit. And I mean, my habit got so bad that I was like, it was it was like a thousand dollars a day. So like, wow. it wasn't it wasn't a small like oh yeah you just take you know fifty bucks every couple of weeks. No, that's not that was no, not you the were case. In deep. You were yeah all in. I. I when I go all in, I, I, uh, or when I go in, I go all in. I'm the same. Uh, but, uh, not with opiates, but yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But uh, hopefully it's a healthy. Thing. I mean, that's it wasn't actually, though. It wasn't though. Like that's why I'm resonating with your story yeah. because like us, and I even say people that are addicts or have addiction like tendencies, that is a superpower. It's just focused on the wrong. Exactly. Thing. You got to just be obsessed about the right things. That's it. I mean, and it's, That's a, all it's a better drug. Yeah, yeah way Bre- better. Breathing, drinking good water, uh, working out, building your business. Better. Much better highs. Yeah. Much better highs. And it's like feeling good because then you get the impact and the right people. And like, you know, it's just, it's it's better. 
Yeah. So, so to, to answer your question, yeah. though, the first sixty thousand was you know dumb, right? That was just like the big culmination of you know six years all adding up into okay, here's where Jeff is at. Yeah. Um. When I got out, I still like I built. I still had a healthy like credit, right? I wasn't when I right when I get out, I had like a few months where I wasn't paying off stuff, but I still had like some room on my credit profile where I could actually go invest money. Yeah. So I just put that into books, courses, mentors, masterminds. And like I learned a bunch of really valuable things. Um, you know, one of them was from <clears throat> uh Lewis Mocker, which is he's not like huge or anything. No, he's an Australian guy. Uh, but he taught something called a four product empire about how to just build digital products and have like, okay, you need to have a subscription. You need to have a low ticket. You need to have a high ticket. And mm -hmm. like I built my foundational business around that. And like, that's what, you know, it made me leaps. I think the first month that I launched, like the first thing that I had no idea what the hell I was doing, it was a, like a pre-sale of a pre-sale. Cause that's what they taught me to do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, because I had the outline of everything, but I built it as it, you know, the offer went on. Um, but I think I made like five grand, you know, the first month. I'm like, holy crap. And then that turned into like 12 and 25 and 100. And then, and then it just, you know, went from there. So, uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if you're like scared to go into debt, you're just pretty much slowing yourself down and you're capping your potential. 100%. But you have to be intentional with where you're putting the money. For you know, sure. like, yeah, Cardone could could he had a bunch of products and offers and a company, right? So he can put a a ton of money into attention, right? Because he's got all these things to sell. But if you got nothing to sell and you just go run a bunch of Facebook ads, it's probably not going to work out too well for you. Because uh, sure. I did that actually when I first started. I was trying to like build websites for people, but I had no idea what I was doing, and I spent money on Facebook ads and got zero. So um, it all depends on where you're at. I think it's very important to have like self awareness. Definitely, and you know, if you're under a hundred K, like if your net worth is under a hundred K, like you're under a hundred K liquid, I always tell people like the best investment you can make in is yourself. Mm -hmm. I agree. Is in finding the right mentors of where people that are doing the things that you actually want to be doing, like fully, they aren't just the facade online. That's like posting videos of them renting Lamborghinis in Vegas, like find people that are actually building a business, have a healthy family life, have they're healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Have a healthy mindset and they're having impact and they're giving back and growing a business. Mm -hmm. Like those are the, like, those are the people I say, go follow, go, you know, go watch their free content. Like for years, like I, when I knew you, I was going to have you on the show, I was watching your content. It's like, it's so good. Like you just give out oh, so much sure. good information and it's just so authentic because you've been through it, you've done it. Mm -hmm. And you can really see that, you know, you know what you're talking about. And so, you know, when people want to go and we'll put a link below the the episode. So anybody that wants to come in and check out your stuff, they definitely can. Um, because yeah, I love what you're doing. I'm so glad that um Dave and Jake got us in touch because man, I, I love talking about this topic, especially getting creative as we're going into this next cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really the driver of creating the abundance podcast is to be bringing smart people on that are doing really creative things because the old way, the old institutional way of quote unquote becoming wealthy will keep you poor. Let's just, mm -hmm. let's just say it right. Climb the ladder, climb the ladder. Heard that a zillion times. Cause like, even if you're making 50 grand a year after taxes, after taxes and after expenses, you got what, like three, four grand to put into what yeah. your 401k to put into like, you're that'll never break you free, especially with inflation, the cost of gas, the cost of dairy products, the cost of all this other stuff. It's like, 
it's insane. It's absolutely insane. So somebody that is, you know, looking to invest, especially in this next chapter, like if, if you were to go back to when you were first starting out, but you still know what you know now, what would you do? Like, what would be, what would be like a first move for you where, you know, you could set some capital aside and feel good about that investment? And that's kind like of a loaded question. When I was first starting in entrepreneurship, like yeah, five like, years ago. Yeah. But you know what you know now, but you don't have all the capital that you have now. Yeah, I would probably continue to put even more money back into myself and my business. I think I did pretty well at that, but I think I could have put even more back into my uh, company um, because I did like I was heavily invested in crypto and, you know, I was the first limited partner in our own fund. And when I first made my first 200 grand like that I had after expenses and everything and taxes, I put it into my fund, which was great. It shows that I have skin in the game. I yep. believe in what we're doing. But like at the same time, um, you know, putting that thinking about your business as an investment, I think is really important and putting money back into your company. So much money where you can like, you know, you could take risks with, you know, hiring multiple media buyers that, you know, compete against each other for your business. You could, you know, spend a lot more money than you feel comfortable with on a new executive that came from a company that's 10x, you know, bigger than you and get yeah. uncomfortable with some of those expenses. Um, and then I, I obviously there's like I, I could name a few like projects and stuff I wish I would have put money into when they were a five million market cap that turned into 30 billion. But that's yeah. like it's uh it doesn't really matter at this point. But that's probably the number one thing I would do. And I totally agree with you. If you have less than 100K, like keep putting it back into yourself. And you ha if you have a business, max out yourself and then go your business and then go to things that you don't control. So if you look at the wealthiest people in the world, okay, where where did they their wealth come from? They came typically from the equity in their companies. Mm -hmm. But so they put all their time, energy and effort and money into their own company, but they did that and, and you know, Warren Buffett or you know, someone else would probably say, "Hey, diversification, right? Diversification is typically for people that don't know what they're doing." Yep. So if you're really focused and you have complete control of one thing, then and you put you know your time energy and, and resources in that one thing and uh and and you have complete control of it you can have quantum leaps in your in your wealth um but a lot of people will just you know they they extract money from their business or whatever they're doing and then they go put it into poo poo inu coin <laughs> which they have no control over and right. it's like okay well how how is that that's going to get you running on this hamster wheel but like by the way i pr i just posted today about you got to invest money. Yeah. Like if you hold cash, that's a decision that you are making yourself. That's a, that's an asset. Okay. That's not, it's the same thing. Like you going to buy a real estate property or you going to buy, a, you know, an equity, right? You're still holding cash and you're deciding to do that. And it's a guaranteed loss because we've been on a 50 year experiment where the dollar came off the gold standard. Yeah. And now we increased money supply 40% in the last two years. Oh, and so out the hunt, over a hundred years of U.S. dollars, we just increased that over forty percent in just the last two years. So, what does that do? That debases the currency. So, it's really important to invest money. So, I'm not an, an advocate against investing money, but I think, um, you know, for me, I would have put even more into that to just grow even quicker, so that I can then pour more more value and put it into places that I believe are going to appreciate quickly. Uh, that's such great insight, and. Yeah, for me going back, you know, once the business was growing and I noticed like these different like plateaus, 
then I would go invest in myself. Mm. And there were so many things that I passed on for years. I'm like, why did I not spend the time doing that? You know, in the beginning, we were spending a lot of time, like five, six years ago, spending a lot of time creating organic content. And we, you know, we spent six months on it and really didn't get an immediate return and built our YouTube channel up to like 40K subscribers. And then we just stopped. Yeah. We just stopped doing it. I had mentors say, you need to be getting on stages. You need to be creating podcasts. You need to go, you know, meet with these other experts in these other areas of your business. And I was like, nah, we're doing okay. You know, we're doing okay. But doing okay, well, like you're either moving forward or backwards. Mm. And so like, if you're not consistently growing with your finances, your business, physically, mentally, like you are actually taking a step backwards. Yeah. And it took me a long time to figure that out. So same for me. I mean, going back then, I would have been like doubling down on my business, doubling down on my uh, employees because mm -hmm. I was always cheap on employees trying to hire all these yeah. VAs from overseas, trying to hire kids right out of college. that had no experience that I get as free interns, which actually one of them turned out to be really well. And now he's like investing for me and doing a lot of great stuff. Nice. So that was a win. But like you said, hiring a players, like you will end up paying more money for hiring B and C players mm -hmm. than you will for a players. Yeah. We finally figured that out in the last probably two years and business has grown exponentially because mm -hmm. yeah hiring people from bigger companies mm -hmm. they've been through those breaking points yeah. that you're about to go through they're like oh yeah it looks like you should do this but actually do this trust me mm -hmm. this is where we did the thing so great insight there um so i know a lot of you know the last year two years we were like oh everyone's talking about crypto 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 and like everyone was going into it and even though i had like decent insight I mean, I still lost like 300 grand this last cycle mm -hmm. and, you know, cash out some, didn't cash out others, held on to some of products that I really believe in that I feel like the next having that's going to happen and what, what, when's the next one going to happen? It's going to be like maybe about, yeah. in the next quarter? A little, little less than three years. No, 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 no. It's within like two years. I forget the exact date. I think it's 2024. I forget the exact date. I think it's April of 2024. It's, it's usually, it's right underneath four years. Okay. From the, the previous one. Gotcha. So I, I'm just holding on to that being like, all right, I hope that I hope everything comes back. I caught look it. Look it up for the audience. What's that? It's right online. You yeah. can look it up in a second. So. Okay. Um, yeah, let's look up. Let's just get that. Because I just talked to a buddy the other day that was saying that he thought this April coming up in 2023 was going to start the process, but it was going to be, I can't remember if he said longer or shorter price. I need to get him on. He's running one of the biggest Bitcoin operations in Canada. I should get you guys in connection. Nice. He is yeah, like 20. one of the smartest people I've ever spoken to. He was at a mastermind we were at in Mexico. and So yeah, it's April 8th of 2024. Okay. There you go. You guys heard it right here. Get, get ready. 480 days in five hours. There you go. Okay. So for people that got smoked in this last cycle or for people that you know, haven't cashed out that are still believing in it or looking to like right now where to invest in crypto. Like what advice would you give that person? Yeah. Um, so we're at a really interesting time. Um, first of all, if you look at previous bear markets, which I could, we could talk, pull up 18 charts right now, but um, typically it's three years of a bull market and then one year of a bear market. And the bear market typically ends about 12 months from the all time high which we just passed the 12 month mark like a couple weeks ago. So like historically, if you're looking at just the previous cycles, like we're at the low or we hit the low or we're very, very close to low. And I can pretty much 
with certainty say that we're much, much closer to the bottom than we are to the top. The thing that's a lot different um, about this cycle previous to other ones is, I mean, there's, there's, uh, it, it's, you know, so a lot of people really worried about it, but I'm like, I bought Bitcoin back in 2013, sold it in 2014, started to heavily get back into the industry in 2017. And I've been every single day since 2017. Um, and what we have this cycle, as opposed to the previous cycles, is we have true institutional adoption and interest. I mean, the largest asset managers, Fidelity just released like two weeks ago, um, institutional and, and to the retail clients, uh, Bitcoin trading, which goes to tens of millions of clients, and they have four trillion in assets. Same thing with uh, BlackRock; they just partnered with Coinbase. They're a ten trillion dollar asset manager, and they, they, you know, the biggest asset manager of the entire world, and they're now getting into Bitcoin. The reason why, if you notice, I just said Bitcoin is because that is deemed as a commodity. So that's the big thing that's happening right now is we don't know what's going to happen. Whether hey, is this going to be a commodity or security? Right now, the SEC and CFTC are fighting over these assets. Like literally, CFTC is saying, hey, Tether, uh, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, those are all commodities, and we need to regulate those. The SEC is saying, no, those are securities. We need to regulate gotcha. those. So they're fighting over them. So that's like a big, um, and that will impact like the price of the asset if you look at when XRP got, you know, investigated for being uh, an unregistered security they got delisted from all u.s exchanges and price went way down and it was suppressed we never reached an all-time high uh you know back in 2017 like we did it wasn't even close to the the previous all-time high so like it will have a significant impact on price then they need to register as securities then they can go on, on actual broker dealers but like the majority of the crypto projects won't do that right because it's so intent like the registration process is so intense um, so what, so what, so what coins do you think will actually get onto these like mainstream platforms <clears throat> and when do you think that'll happen? So the, the key from what we're seeing, cause I don't know if you heard about library coin being deemed with security, but no. we stay up to date with this stuff. Like you have to, yeah, That's every day. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to start texting you yeah. that even like, Jeff, what do I do? What's going on? What's happening? <laughs> Feel free. Not financial advice, but I can give you, uh, my, my thought process. Um, but yeah, they got deemed a security. So they lost the big, you know, battle against the SEC because they had, uh, you know, a big centralized ownership of the project. They did an ICO. And then they're also like, if, if you do or don't do an ICO, the replacement for that is a pre-mine. So if you like, you know, if the, if the founders own a significant portion of it, um, they're, they're, they're raising, which by the way, <laughs> the majority of the new crypto projects that are all big now were VC backed, which means that they raise capital through a token instead of offering an actual security. And then they take that capital and a lot of times they sell that token a lot of times after they release it to retail. So they kind of dump on retail. Yep. And then they take that money and they invest it into their business and into their their employees and into their technology and all that. So that's like that's what they're looking for is like are, we, are, are people making an investment in a common enterprise with the expectation of future profit? And that's what the majority of these crypto projects are doing. And they're VC backed and they're very centrally owned and they're operating like tech companies without registering. So there's like, you need to look at, all you're doing is you're looking at case law and saying, hey, what has happened to library? What's about to happen to Ripple? And then you make your decision on what you want to hold from there. So like we've already started to cut some positions that we think are going to be in trouble 
And I think Ethereum is kind of a big question mark right now. We'll see what, what happens. But um, there's certain projects like uh, like Caspa that just released. Probably no one has heard about it on here unless you follow uh -huh. me. But um, it, there is no pre-mine, no ICO. The founders own like less than 3% of the supply. And it's all community driven. So yes, they're working on the project, but they're not directly benefiting. These guys, like they are cited in the the Ethereum white paper, and they they're so rich from you know buying crypto early on that they don't care. Um, but like looking for certain projects like that that are checking the boxes that are you know that are going to help in not being deemed as securities. So that's like the big the big difference. If you don't have that time to do all that. Uh, all of that research the safest play is bitcoin because it is a commodity that they've openly said hey this is a commodity so if you don't know you know what to do a lot of times it's just best to either invest with a professional or just go buy bitcoin i mean just dca into bitcoin over time yep that's it and explain to the listeners what dca is just dollar cost average so just invest set amounts of money at set intervals so every week i'm buying one bitcoin or you know Every every month, I I invest ten percent of my income into Bitcoin. Right? It's just like on a set schedule. You got to do it, and the reason is because this is exact exactly. I've it's so funny. You see, you you know these things, but when they don't pop up for a couple of years, you kind of like forget how real it is. Yep. How bad people are at investing because all you know, they make emotional decisions. Yep. So that's the number one thing you're trying to remove. Is how do I not make emotional decisions with investing? So every time we see, we hear about, you know, the Voyager, Celsius, then we hear about FTX, then we hear about uh, uh, BlockFi going bankrupt. What does that tell the average retail investor? They're like, holy crap, I need to sell the bottom and freak out and, and, and then just sit on my cash because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. When in reality, every time I'm hearing that bankruptcy, I'm like, okay, we're getting closer and closer to the bottom. I'm buying more and more as like, as each one of these bad events happen and then, you know, keeping it in a safe place, yep. we're lucky to not have experienced any uh, negative effects from all of these companies going bankrupt. So we've done, it's kind of been whack-a-mole this year. It's yeah. been uh, really, really crazy <laughs> yeah. to watch. It's but, been wild. So yeah. even after like the big, you know, when Bitcoin went from, what was the all-time high this last go around? 69. 69,000. And when it started dropping quite quickly, were you still DCAing in as it was going down this whole last year? No, I think I I probably started right around uh, right around like I think it was in February. We were sitting at like the low, very low 40s, and I would start and I will scale into things. So like as you will start as the price starts to drop, you'll start to maybe you're putting one percent at 40k. Then at 38, you're putting maybe like one and a half percent of your cash position is what I'm talking about. Yep. And then when you get lower and lower, you're increasing your, your, we just, a lot of times we'll set limit orders so that it's very unemotional. So like when, when Bitcoin hits 17, 16, 15, it just, our, our buy limits just increase in size. So we're just buying more and more and, and decreasing our average purchase price. So from us on a fund perspective, like, yes, we've had a drawdown this year for sure, because we're a net long fund yep. and we're a long-term player. And we understand these cycles and how volatile they are. It's tough for the average person because they don't. But we know that our, our value of our fund in Bitcoin terms is going up and up. And we know that we've consistently been outperforming Bitcoin. So like we're not even, yes, we had a, a drawdown in US dollar terms. But if you look at Bitcoin terms, 
we're in a good spot and we believe that Bitcoin is going a lot higher than it is now. Yeah, and that's what people need to understand and correct me if I'm wrong, but you got to understand that when when Bitcoin is going down in value and the dollar isn't fluctuating that much, when it's going down in value, people start to freak out, but then you're acquiring more Bitcoin the cheaper that it gets yeah. when you're DCAing in. Yeah, you're lowering your average purchase price. Right. So and, you're still winning. And that's yeah. what people need to understand because we all know, especially now it's becoming a commodity, it's going to do the halving process again. Every time it does the halving process, we see a, what double the all-time high. Like what was it before 69,000? The last time it was like 34, 38. Yeah, like from the low, it went up like 2,000%. And so that's going to happen. And before that, again. it was like tens of thousands of percent. But so it's, that's that's what I'm saying. It's like it's yeah, gonna that's going to continue to happen. We already know that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not like guaranteed, but you know, the sun's not guaranteed to come up tomorrow either. So, right, but, but there's, it, a, there's a good chance it's going to. Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, with the traction that it has now, it is so like that's what I'm saying. It's so different than the previous bear markets because when Bitcoin went from six k to three k in 2018, everyone's like, dude, it's done. It's done. It's going to ten bucks and have fun, go buy some pizzas with it. Right. But like now it's like, it's not going anywhere. I mean, some of the biggest public companies, the largest asset managers, 20 insurance companies, Harvard, Yale, Brown, all have it in their endowments. Like it's, uh, it's really uh, not going anywhere. And one of the big issues we're having right now, which I think prices, we've seen price go way lower um, than what people were expecting. Like we've never seen price go down past the previous all-time high of the last cycle so the last high was about 20k we've came down to 15 and a half this year and i think one of the big reasons is because all this paper bitcoin because of the these exchanges um like you'll go deposit bitcoin or you go put tether on the exchange you buy bitcoin they're supposed to be holding the bitcoin but they're acting like a u.s bank where they don't actually hold your assets they go do like ftx they were go they would feed their own hedge fund and they're supposed to hold, be holding your Bitcoin. So really, we had uh, someone did the math the other day. They counted like on these exchanges on how much, um, you know, Bitcoin they really uh, have, and it was like thirty six million when there's only nineteen million released. So there's a lot of like paper Bitcoin because these these exchanges aren't actually holding your own Bitcoin, which is hurting price. Because then people think they own the Bitcoin, and in reality. No one owns the Bitcoin. So we're seeing a mass exodus of exchanges right now. Like by far the biggest withdrawals we've ever seen. I mean, yesterday's withdrawals from Binance, it was like $3.9 billion. And uh, which is great because it forces that exchange to go buy Bitcoin and let the back. users withdraw it. So I think we're actually way uh, undervalued. And if you look at realized price and a lot of other metrics, we're at a place where um, it makes a lot of sense to add to long-term positions. And I'll say this last thing, and then you can move on to whatever. But um, the big difference that what you're talking about and what the average investor doesn't understand is in crypto, it's so volatile that it's pretty much impossible to not have big drawdowns if you're a long-term investor. Right. And if you look at, okay, how did Three Arrows Capital do with how... Uh, they managed all their complex derivatives and, and crazy strategies. Well, they took their fund to 12 billion. And then now what are they at? They're at zero because they got liquidated and went to zero. Okay, FTX, right? Alameda, the fund behind FTX, they literally front ran, ran their customers. So they would bring on a new token. They'd buy a bunch of the token. 
then they would release it to retail and they'd sell on retail, right? They had they they had uh, ways to never get liquidated because they own the exchange. Why are they going to liquidate themselves right. on a derivatives trade? And they had all these crazy strategies. And guess what they did? They went to zero. So a lot of the times, the best thing to do is to formulate a simple strategy where you're not over leveraging, you're not buying poo poo you knew, and you're not <laughs> buying all these crazy stupid coins. Right. And you're just keeping it simple and just implementing the timeless investment strategies that any successful asset manager would talk about. You go look at Stanley Drunkenmiller, Ray Dalio, Warren Buffett, they would all say, hey, why don't you just DCA when price goes down, you bring down your average purchase price. And that's um, the thing that people need to understand is usually that's the way to, to go about investing. And then uh, typically what people are really worried about is they see the unrealized losses on their account. And they're like, holy crap, you know, I just had a 70% drawdown in Bitcoin I put in 100K and now it's literally worth 30K. So I just lost a bunch of money. You didn't actually lose money until you actually sell. Right. Right. And if you're implementing, you, you always got to ask yourself, well, what's the time frame of my investment? If you're talking about trying to invest into crypto in the next six months and you need that return in six months, don't go invest into crypto. Right. If you're talking about five years, that's every cycle is played out in a four year length. So you're probably going to do pretty well if you have that time horizon. So it's all about asking yourself those important questions and understanding that like, you know, unrealized losses and, and real losses are different. If you right. go into those dumb meme coins or you use too much leverage on a derivatives platform, when you get liquidated or you get rug pulled, that is actually going to zero. Yeah. And you, you just lost that money. Yep. But if you buy Bitcoin and hold in cold storage and you're in a good spot and you've got a longer time horizon... You got an unrealized loss and an opportunity to add your position and, and lower your average price. And when you say cold storage, what do you mean by that? Just like uh, off the internet. Yeah. So, so you putting it actually into a hardware wallet. Yeah. Right? I use a zero wallet by Engrave. It's the quote unquote coldest wallet. I have nothing to do with their company, by the way. I was just saying, this episode uh, is sponsored yeah, by it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't even know who, who started the company or anything. But I just got like a, a ledger. A ledger. Yeah. 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 Those are great too. Okay. Cool. Cool. I was like, wait, man, am I missing out? <laughs> yeah, no. Is my wallet not Just cold Just do not <laughs> buy them on like, secondary markets. Don't go to Amazon and buy it. Right. Because like people can be like a secondary seller of it and they can program it to literally just when you're putting your crypto on the ledger, it's actually going to their wallet and they can take Whoa. your private keys. So like you got to go to the company's website and buy from their website. It's so messed up. I know yeah. there's a couple of times where uh, there was a private uh, there was like a private sale going on. It was supposed to be a good project. And then it happened to me one time where I got added into a telegram group and it's had the same name. And they're like, all right, to open up early, click on this link. And you go to whatever oink sale or whatever, the, whatever that, you know what I'm talking about? It's like pink sale or whatever, where a lot of these smaller projects launch on for like their pre-sale. Um, was it an exchange? No, it's like, it's like pancake swap, but it's like, something oh, different. a Dex. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Dex. Yeah. And got sent the link that looks just like it. Oh, man. Pancake swap dot APPP or instead of APP yeah. or whatever, go and I put in like 10 grand and then it didn't give me my stuff. And I was like, what is going on? So I went back and did it again. So it's like 15 grand. I got scammed out of it in a matter of yeah whatever. And so, and then I went and looked at it and we looked at the wallet. My buddy is really good at, you know, crypto stuff. So we like chased down this wallet and he's like, dude, 
he just made like 450 grand in about 15 minutes from like mm-hmm. running that scam. And I was like, that is so shitty. Yeah. Like why are people, you know, and that's why, you know, crypto has a bad name. That's why the coaching info business has had, you know, it's ups and downs with, with people. It's like, man, just shady people out there doing dumb yeah, shit. It's terrible. It's terrible, man. It's like, if you were to spend all that time that you spent on coding that and setting up the telegram thing and getting all these people to push people in there, it's like, if you just took that energy and, focus on your own project, your own business. I mean, I think you could actually sleep at night and build something, yeah. build something real. So for those of you that are, you know, investing in crypto or thinking about mm-hmm. it, it's like, just be really, really, really careful. And I was even like, I felt like I was pretty well versed at the time. I'd been in the crypto area for, you know, a couple of years and knew how to send money and knew how to buy it and knew how to research projects mm-hmm. and still, you know, had that, had yeah. that happen. Yeah. It's just what comes with an early stage industry for like, sure and the same thing with the volatility of i was I, I talked about this on the mayor's podcast like a year ago is like people look at it and they see it's so volatile and they just assume that that's risk like volatility and risk are first of all different but secondly it's like kind of like an infant child like when the infant child comes out of the wound how 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 happy can they be one moment and then they flip a switch and they're super, you know, stressed out and crying oh, the next moment. I got one. I know exactly yeah. what. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, better than, than even me, but, um, but like, that's the same way that early seeds a- assets operate as well. Like when there's not a lot of long-term capital and then they're super volatile. For sure. So like, but that's the price that you pay when it's early, you know, early stage, there's not always going to be uh you know the, the opportunity to invest into something that's less than a trillion dollar market cap that has the potential to go to tens and tens of trillions like asset classes don't just come out of nowhere right like we're actually very lucky that we got this opportunity for sure but it's uh yeah there's a lot of nuances with it and you do need to know what you do i know i got some some friends that lost a lot of money um in celsius and these other you know places and it's it's really too bad but that's just part of the game so the safest way for people that are looking to get into crypto like what advice would you give for them where would they go and buy it how would they set up you know what wallet would they have we already talked about dca like i use coinbase i feel like that's a pretty easy platform for Mm -hmm. people to get into like what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean they're a public company and they do have uh billions of dollars of reserves but uh yeah their stocks down like 9x but uh could be an opportunity but at some point you got to use an on-ramp so you do have to get fiat currency and convert that into crypto at some extent so yeah i don't think coinbase is a bad place i don't think binance us is a bad place uh it's a little bit more advanced of of a platform but after you buy it you then do the research to understand self-custody that's what crypto was invented for was self-custody and to remove counterparty risk so the whole point of this entire asset is so you can hold your own asset and not have to tell anyone that you're holding it either. Right. So that's the main thing that I would say is really important is understand self-custody. Yes, use the exchanges to transact. It's called an exchange for a reason. You're exchanging. You're not holding there. It's not your piggy bank. Right. So move it into self-custody and hold it in a place where it's offline and cold storage where it can't you know, it's very, very unlikely that it's going to be taken from you. Great advice. Great advice. Because for the longest time, I would just leave everything on my my Fox wallet. What, what's the MetaMask? MetaMask. Yeah. I always call it like. It's a little bit safer. I mean, you don't have the counterparty risk of Coinbase or BlockFi. Right. Right. Because they, they do dumb stuff. They, they make loans to institutions. They do 
all this, all these things that you don't, you don't know, you don't know uh, completely what they're doing with their balance sheet and their, their attention and energy. But with MetaMask, if you lose your private keys, MetaMask is not helping. They can't touch it. Right. They literally cannot do anything about it. So the hot, that's a hot wallet. What we were talking about earlier was self custody. That's a cold wallet. Gotcha. So it's still online. It could still be hacked online. Like if you open a, a phishing email and they say, Hey, 10% off that lawn chair that you were looking at last week. And then guess what you do? You got to type in this code to this bar, right? That gives you the 10% off code. But in reality, that just took control of your computer. And now they can go into your MetaMask and send the crypto out of your MetaMask. That's the type of stuff that happens. Wow. So that's why like we use only crypt, like completely separate. I've never connected this uh, computer to anything except for my, this one specific Wi-Fi. And we never use our, we have crypto only devices and crypto only emails. And every new exchange or new account we're setting up is a different email. And we Smart. never send anything to that. We never send anything out of that email. And we never put that email into anything to ever get any other email. So like we completely separated to to limit the, or the decrease rate, yeah. the chance. But but yeah, if you're on a hot wallet, there's so little risk, but it's less counterparty risk than an exchange or lending institution. So going back to talking about uh, paper Bitcoin, would it be smart then for people? And if let's just say everybody was to go out there and pull everything off the exchanges and put everything into their cold wallets, would that fix that issue? Would would that crash Bitcoin? Or should we not even tell people about this? <laughs> um, it would. Yeah, because I've never heard that concept. I had no idea that that happened. That they were working mm -hmm. like banks, but as like back in two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, when people literally went to the bank to pull out their cash. I knew friends that had millions of dollars in the bank that could actually not get cash out of the bank. Well, yeah, that's how it is now. It's actually even worse probably now than it was. Um, banks around the U.S., they are required. It depends on where they're located and what type of bank they are, but they're required to hold zero to 10% of assets. So when you go and deposit money, it's called fractional reserve banking. They're taking your hundred bucks and at maximum, they're keeping 10% there. So, you know, if people tried to pull out more than 10% of the assets that they've actually deposited in the bank, that bank is going under because they won't have the, the money or it's going to take a lot of time for them to go pull back the money. But they, they use that money and they go lend it out. Right. Um, but they're, they're just more strict on their, you know, guidelines and, and who they let pull. I don't know if you've ever tried to pull big money. I pulled some big money out of, of banks and they, you got to schedule it. Oh, yeah. You got to go in there. There's bodyguards. They, they go in with you, they go out with you, they, uh, they put it in these special bags and like, uh, you gotta be, we were just using it for to shoot some ads. What I'm going to do, we're putting this back in two days. <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that's how banks in the U S operate too. People don't even know that, but like that's, and if you go, you know, if a bank goes bankrupt because we go into a deeper session or something like 2008. Um, you know, you can maybe get 250k back, but at the end of the day, it's not all FDIC insured. So you're still giving your money to another institution. You have that counterparty risk, and they just have an IOU that says, "Hey, man, I I owe you 500 grand," but that's not a guarantee that you get your 500 grand back. So that's the power of you know crypto assets is being able to hold your own self custody because and you it's actually it's there. Yours. You own three yeah. Bitcoin. All three Bitcoin are in that cold mm -hmm. storage. And you could go take that Bitcoin. You don't even need the device. You could go take that Bitcoin to 
Zimbabwe because you remember the seed phrase in your head. So you could just take a hundred million across the border because you remembered your private keys in your head and you just go type in your private keys right online and you can, oh, there's your Bitcoin. And that's the crazy uh, power of it. And I mean, there's a lot of other things I could talk about, but yeah, self-custody, I think people are, they have to learn about it now just because yeah. all the bankruptcies that just happened. So a hundred percent. And, you know, now that I'm getting older, building up my liquidity, building up my assets, it, it makes me feel safe to know that that is an option to be able to literally take my money, convert it into Bitcoin, like actually have it. And now you can start to see there's like Bitcoin ATM machines showing up like all over the place. And I'm really excited for it to continue to move in that direction because really that gives us, that's giving our us our power back, mm -hmm. right? Because we you watch, um, you know, you read the book 1984 and you, you watch some of these conspiracy theories where it's like literally based on your behavior. They start, you know, locking up your finances and, I mean, it's shutting down your bank account. I mean, it's already happened. Yeah. I mean, what just happened to Kanye? I mean, what uh, you could, you could Andrew Tate, like what, did they murder someone or what, what was, what was, why did JP Morgan shut all their accounts down? Yeah. I mean, it's just cause they don't have the same beliefs and what they, whatever they, whoever they is, whatever they uh, want. So like it is, it's, it is literally happening right now. And that's the power is the, the censorship resistant part yep. of, of uh, the asset class. So uh, happy to have it. Your original question, should we tell everyone to take off of exchanges? Probably not, but the power of everyone withdrawing recently because of all these bankruptcies has been huge because now all these companies are, they're showing their assets on chain. And that's another powerful thing about blockchain. So you can see everything. Like we do have a lot of analytics that are called on-chain analytics because you can see where the crypto is sitting, where it's moving to. If, you know, people holding, you know, long-term or moving their assets or selling them, or you can see a lot of really important statistics. And now these exchanges, everyone's saying like all their customers are demanding that they show the on-chain proof of reserves. So now these exchanges are coming out and saying, hey, Here's the assets that I have, and here's how many you know depositors we had. So then it's like, okay, we know for a fact they hold 500k Bitcoin and 12 you know thousand Ethereum or whatever it is. So with that the the positive of all this stuff has already been happening, and it's 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 starting to help the whole paper Bitcoin issue. Okay, that's great, mm. and because that's what is also great about the blockchain is yes, you can track all that. Yes, you can show liquidity but you can still be anonymous. You're just seeing essentially where the money's flowing, mm -hmm. which is really powerful. And then with each of those exchanges happening, there has to be multiple, I guess they're called equations, right? That the, that the Bitcoin computers are figuring out to mm -hmm. say, yes, you actually have that. Like mm -hmm. humans are not controlling that. That is a machine. So there can't be human error. Mm -hmm. We see it happen all the time in our merchant processing for our companies, from funding companies, from banks, like I have, we have five people on our accounting team. They catch mistakes every single month. Last month we caught $9,000 in mistakes that was supposed to be paid to us. Mm -hmm. They're never going to catch that. Yep. The banks, the finance companies are never going to come back and be like, oh, oh ch you know what? Chance, sorry, we made a mistake. Here's your $9,000 back. They don't. And so that's what I love about Bitcoin and the blockchain. It's like mm -hmm. there is not a mistake. You send one Bitcoin across the world. That entire Bitcoin is going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all the, that's a, I think one of the most interesting things and probably people even listening to this don't understand 
is instead of having the buildings and the fax machines and the employees and the phones and all of that nonsense. That costs a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. That goes into mining equipment that produces income. That's also a tax write-off when you go to the investment piece, but uh, it, it, it helps uh, validate and uh, verify the transaction. So when you send Bitcoin to someone else, it goes through the miners uh, verify that transaction and say, yep, that's coming from here to go over here. And they, yeah, they don't know your name, right? They just know that it's this wallet address. Yep. But uh, I actually just saw today, uh, Elizabeth Warren just submitted a bill to KYC every wallet. So even if it's a custody wallet, if it's a MetaMask wallet, they want to, KYCs know your client. So they want to know who everyone is. We'll see if that bill gets passed, but that was just submitted, I think, today. Wow. Well, that's interesting. I brought up that conversation. I yeah. must have been picking up on that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, I hope that doesn't happen because it, it kind of starts to, to defeat the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm also excited about in, you know, blockchain, there's a good friend of mine um, that just started a company where they're starting to do real estate asset funds all owned by, you know, partial percentages through mm-hmm. the blockchain, which I'm really excited about where you can buy a house in two seconds mm-hmm. and it just is your part of your wallet or your NFT or whatever. And you don't have to go to the bank and pay the realtors, all the fees and pay all these middlemen, the title company, the this or that. It's like, no, I want that house. Cool. I own the mm-hmm. house. Boom. Here you go. We're not quite to that process, but I think we're getting very close. Um, what have you seen that really outside of the trading and building the funds, like what else about crypto or the blockchain is really exciting for you as far as like asset management and and growing your net worth in other ways? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think another big, you're exactly right, the tokenization and, and digital ownership of assets. So like you could tokenize this, you know, a condo complex. And if it's a billion dollar condo complex, you could have a billion people own an NFT that represents their ownership of it. And then the net operating income could pass through the smart contract and go to all the token holders. Like that's you like could, that. Yeah. Like automatically. Yep. And, and then you're talking about the title. Yeah. Why does it take 35 days to close on a property? I don't understand. Why can't we just say you own it and now you own it? Here's the money. Cool. You're good to go. Like why, why does it take over a month? Um, Cause but, I, I, I like, I value my time so much, yeah. right? Like we bought work on buying our third home. And it's this long drawn out thing. And I went back and actually looked at the amount of minutes I spent speaking to my realtor, speaking to the title company, negotiating with the seller. Yeah. It was like a good 15, 20 hours that month mm-hmm. to make that happen. It's like, I know what my time is worth. And it's like, man, if I could just say, boom, okay, I want that house. Okay, done. You're cool. Same thing on the other side. It could be on open sea. Yeah. I mean, you could literally go buy a house on like something like open sea. It's like buying a board ape. Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> I mean, why why can it not be like that? Right. It's just because we have dinosaur dinosaur uh, railroads on what everything's been built on, and that's changing. Yeah. But I think Web3 is really interesting. It's a really hot word. I kind of even hate using the word because so many people talk about it, and it's just like, what does that even mean? What it really means is like, you know, Web1 was you going to the internet and, and viewing information, right? So you could just go to a website and read stuff. Uh, web two was you going to consume the information, but also being able to share information and content. So Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, web three is now saying, okay, so instead of Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube owning all of your content, now web three is you can build these on blockchains on, on public blockchains or private, but now the users, they can 
consume the info, they can share the info, and now they can own their own info and data as well. So instead of all these companies making tons of money off of your data and your content that you really should own, but you really don't own it when yep. it's on the platform. Yeah, it, when you're on Instagram, YouTube, yeah. those things. And then, yeah, they can take your account away at any time. Yeah. And that's what's really sad is a lot of people build their entire businesses off of one platform, off their Instagram mm-hmm. account. Mm-hmm. And there's like one too many nipples in the oh, photo. <laughs> it's like, no, gone. Yep. No, dude, that you happened say to me. something that's slightly about some politician, boom, you're gone with like your millions of followers that most people took years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to even, you know, build that. Yeah. What I happened were, in your case? Right when I was right around like, I think it was like 80K a month and I was only on Instagram because I just wanted to focus on like just One my, platform. yeah, which was good and stuff, but like my, I no idea why. Just one day, up, oh, you're disabled. I wasn't talking about politics or any any conspiracies, anything. Just like, up, oh, your account's disabled, and they don't they don't tell you why. They don't tell you what policy you broke. None of that. And like my chargeback rate on my merchant went up to like over ten percent because people thought I just like scammed them. Yeah. I'm like, no, dude, I uh, can't. So I took like six weeks. I had to pay someone five grand, and they got it back for me. Um, and then everything was fine. And I use that as a point in time to be like, dude, I got to diversify where I'm, where I'm, you know, building my brands. So that was a big, big learning lesson. And if I didn't get it back, that could have, you know, really screwed me. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of worrisome. If anyone's watching this, you should totally, uh, not be accustomed to one place. And like, if you hate Facebook, cause they keep shutting down your ad account, it's cause you're relying too heavily on them. Yep. hundred percent. Like, one is none is the way that we think about it in our business because mm-hmm. we're always focused on, you know, that one legged pony. It's like, that's easy to fall over. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, di- diversifying your content. And it's, you know, what I like to tell people too is you can take the same content and chop it up and put it on all those different platforms and mm-hmm. still grow a following. The people that live on Twitter love to live on Twitter. They don't want to go watch you on TikTok. Mm-hmm. People that are on TikTok love TikTok. They don't want to go anywhere else. Yeah. People that are a lot watching your long form on YouTube want to stay there. The people that live in your em- email inbox, they want to stay there. So give your followers, give your people what they want mm-hmm. on all of the platforms because that's where they want to stay. That's where they're comfortable. Yeah. And then you're diversifying, right? And again, that's something I wish I would have spent a lot more time doing back when we were building, but we were just focused on the ad side of it and weren't focused on the organic content. And that's mm-hmm. what we're like tripling down on now yep. that I wish I would have done in the beginning. Yeah. And even when people say- are just getting started, like if you're just getting started in something, just put out content because people think, oh, I don't know enough. Or they think all these like, you know, the lighting is not good. Yeah. I have a bad, like these. I only phones- have an iPhone. Dude, I film 90% of all my content and ads on an iPhone on a $40 stand. Not even, it's probably not even $40. It's probably $14. There you go. Like we have no excuses. Mm-hmm. And if you are creating a business, it's because you know enough about an industry or a product to add value. You already know more than 90% of the other people in that industry, or especially your customers. Mm-hmm. So people always get in their own way of like, oh, I can't create the content because people are going to think I'm stupid or I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Since you're creating a business, you already know more than your customers. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about trying to gain more customers, you're going to add value. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back to your original question like i think it's gonna you know blockchain in particular like healthcare uh, instead of like having to rely on employees that could you know expose hipaa violations with you know patient info can be stored on a blockchain logistics amazon walmart's already using 
uh, different providers to be able to locate packages quicker on a blockchain. Um, you look at payments, like for everything that we do, for people selling anything online. Uh, I think payments is right around the corner of being revolutionized. Uh, Which needs to be like these merchant processing companies are taking three percent, three and a half percent. You got their margin is going to go way lower, and it's not, and it'll protect the businesses because when someone goes in and creates a chargeback, it most of the time always just favors the consumer. Oh, yeah. Even though you you provide you know <laughs> contract, you provide everything. It's like it's unfair, and there's no companies that want to back that up because at the end of the day, Misa uh, Visa Misa Misa Mastercard. Uh, Visa, MasterCard, like they run the world. They are behind all the merchant process. So even though yeah. you can go sign up with the stripes of the world and the you know PayPal merchant processing and yada 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 yada, there's thousands of them. If the chargeback rate gets too high, Visa, MasterCard will shut down their portfolio. So it's not even them, right? Mm-hmm. So to be able to move to blockchain and be able to process money there, where these big companies stop, you know, we take the control back. Then there's like an equal, you know, communication between the buyer and the seller. Stripe's already doing, they just partnered with Polygon uh, to roll out their blockchain. And you can use uh, USDC and I think Matic and like maybe one other stable coin uh, to pay for things. So like it's already happening and they know if they don't do it, they're screwed. But yeah. like, yeah, I think payments is going to be uh, really big. And then there, there's just. It's crazy the amount of use. I think blockchain is even more important. I mean, blockchain is just an open accounting book that stores transactions and data. Yeah. So if you can try to put a value on that, it's very difficult. Like, think how much AWS is worth. That's pretty much what these smart contract platforms are. You can go build any type of application on top of a public blockchain. And then the, the cryptocurrency is just a secure way to transfer value. So when you're putting in like those two things together, storing and recording data and transferring value, I mean, try to put a value on that. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. And, you know, it gives me reassurance speaking to an expert, knowing what is to come, because I was like, oh, man, I got kind of smoked. And like, I hope it comes back. I hope some cool things are happening. I haven't been able to keep up with it. I've learned to be hyper focused on one business and make a lot of money doing that instead of being all over the place, which I've learned that lesson a couple of times. Yep. So it's good to be reassured that, you know, great things are still happening and mm-hmm. that industry is still moving in the same direction because we need it. I mean, the the people that still have the power and the kind of the old world have been resisting it, mm-hmm. um, institutional, but now seeing a lot of the big players jump on board, especially recently, uh, I think I think we've got some exciting times ahead of us. Yeah. I mean... As an investor, what you want to see is you want to see price going down and fundamentals going up because, you know, long term, the fair value of that asset or industry is going to be reflected. So as long as you're seeing the fundamentals going up, uh, Jeff Bezos talked about this during the dot com bubble right after when they were actually like really successful. But he said, I saw the price of our equity going way down, but I saw like all the volume of new orders and customers and all that picking up. So I'm like, this is amazing like we're actually going to do really well meanwhile everyone else is really scared yep but like he knew that the fundamentals were eventually going to get priced in to the value of their equity which is exactly what will happen i mean I'm, i couldn't be more excited for the industry but yeah if you lost money i think it's a really intelligent decision especially if you're in control of your income just put your head down you should be thanking the bear market right now all that's doing is it's giving you more time more time to go make more money 
to then potentially go buy the dip, go right. back in. Yeah. yeah. So that's the way I I look at it, and I uh, that's I don't uh, any any type of bad thing that perceived bad thing, which price going down and up is not good or bad. It's just a matter of fact. But a lot of people think that price going down is bad. Use that as fuel to go make more money. Okay, you lost three hundred grand. How can I go make three hundred grand in the next three weeks? Yeah, let's go make it happen, right? Use that as fuel. Don't be like you know upset if you guys have lost money. Uh, use that as as something to to have a launch pad to go do more and level up. That's great insight. So we always end on this: like, what does the word abundance mean to you? Limitless. more than you can comprehend um i think in in i always think about quantum leaps like how can i how can i have a let's not talk about linear growth and if you want to be really have a quantum leap you need to be abundant with the way that you think and i think it all starts up here because if you don't have an abundant mindset which i know this is what you know your your podcast is all about that affects your belief systems and your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits and your habits become your destiny. So if you have bad beliefs, you don't have an abundant mindset. There's no way you're going to have a, a massive destiny that you're, you know, unbelievably successful and impact other people. So I think it's, uh, I think it's just a way of life pretty much. I'm sure you would agree. I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts too, because you've probably done more thinking about this than I have. No, man, that's great. Like it's, it's, it's just like what you said. It really starts there. And that's how like my whole journey began is because after my dad committed suicide, I went into a really dark place and was like abusing drugs and alcohol and just complete self-destruction yep. and ended up going to a biohacking conference and learned about meditation learned about the 40 years of Zen, learned about all this like brain stuff that I could be doing to like get my brain out of like a negative process because I had completely shut off my subconscious, wasn't allowing to feel, wasn't allowing to think of my higher self, eating all this terrible food that was like calcifying my pineal gland. So like mm -hmm. I actually could not think straight and positive. Mm -hmm. It's not like I was a angry person, but I just wasn't in my in my state where I needed to be. So breaking out of that, eventually getting my my mind back to because I had a bad relationship with money. I thought money was terrible. I thought mm. anybody that made it had to screw somebody Selfish. over or sue yeah. somebody or whatever it was. And so <clears> I always deflected it. And so through the process of like, man, if if I can generate more resources, I can have a more positive impact on the world. I was never a guy that wanted all the cars and the mansions and all that. I was like, I just want to be able to help the people around me so I can go have vacations and spend time with the people that I actually love, not the people that I have to just go with. Right. Yeah. So abundance for me is being able to be doing the things that I want whenever I want with the people that I want mm -hmm. and not having a deadline. Cause I'm the person that never wants the party to be over and never wants the vacation mm -hmm. to be over. And like now so many times with my friends are like, let's just stay another three or four days. And like, that is like abundant, an abundant yeah. life for me. Cause I always had that fear of, having to be back for something you know they say most like 80 percent of heart attacks happen on sunday night because hmm. people are so stressed out about monday wow. like that stuff's real you know and so me getting into a place where i was able to move out of that and really just like eliminate stress and have an abundance and joy and energy was like always my goal because mm -hmm. when you relieve stress right you you get into ease and illness is literally dis-ease, you yeah. not in ease. 
And the Chinese, I studied Chinese medicine when I was younger, and like the Chinese believe like the root cause of all dis-ease is stress. Mm -hmm. So if I don't have that, and I'm living an abundant life that is constantly de-stressing me, then I feel like I've won. So that's my definition that. of abundance. Yep. That changed my life dramatically. When I had options, to like exactly what you said. Hey, man, you want to go to Cabo? Options. Sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Or like you want to go. It's everyone that watches the, I have a, a Urus and people that watch people that have, you know, Ferraris and whatever, right? They, they, they think that they want the car. What you really want is you want the option to buy the car. Right. You want the abundance to be able to go do whatever you want. So, For sure. For sure. Like, um, yeah, when I was finally able to buy my dream car and build it out and, you know, build my 74 Bronco, like that was such a great feeling for me. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I was like, oh, yeah, I could go buy a whatever, a Ferrari yeah. or this. And like just knowing that I could. And then I'm like, but that's not me. Like, I don't want yeah. that. It was still like I still had that rewarding feeling of being exactly. like, I have the option to. It's empowering. It's empowering. Yeah, It's definitely empowering. So, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. You got to share a lot of great insight. I learned a ton from you nice. on this podcast. I know yeah. we're going to do business and hang out definitely in the future. For our listeners listening in, like, how can they support you? Um, how can they get more information about what you do? I know we'll probably post a link below this where people can just go check that out and go check out all mm. your stuff. Yeah, I mean, just follow my, I mean, the best, I, I post a lot of, like, data and my mindset stuff, my lifestyle. Uh, you know, I work out every day. I post all that stuff on Instagram. So that's probably the best best place for people to go connect with me. And then, uh, yeah, scaling up YouTube, TikTok, like you, I'm doubling down on content over yep. the next year. So I'll probably, I'm, I'm definitely everywhere. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is just, you know, go, go check out uh, my, my YouTube and, and Instagram. Dope. And we'll definitely link that down below as well. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, fun. man. Yeah, that I was awesome. I learned some good stuff too, man. I appreciate it. That was awesome. Right on. Yeah. Right on.